Welcome, my friends. Welcome to this special emergency broadcast of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, broadcasting to you on this 21st day of September 2008. Given the gravity of the topics discussed in today's episode, we will dispense with the usual formalities. Suffice it to say that all of the documents cited in today's episode can be garnered from CorbettReport.com under today's episode in the documentation list. And now, without further ado, it is time for today's Real News. Today's first story comes from the Corbett Report, 17th of September 2008, Black Monday 2008, Financial Armageddon Highlights Fraud of Monetary System. First we laughed about it, then we blew up about it, then we became delusional about it, and now it's here. Financial Armageddon has arrived in the past two weeks. First, the U.S. Treasury Department nationalized Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, agreeing to throw the weight of the entire U.S. Treasury behind the faltering duo that guarantees a $5 trillion share of the U.S. mortgage market. The market's prepared for the worst. Then Black Monday arrived. After last-ditch efforts to arrange a shotgun wedding for the ailing investment bank fell through, Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy on Monday morning, becoming the largest bankruptcy in U.S. history. This triggered the biggest drop on U.S. markets since 9-11 and was quickly followed by comparisons to the Great Depression by billionaire financial wizards. Oh, and did we mention the Federal Reserve just took over the largest insurance company in the U.S. to prevent the worst financial collapse in history? For those who wondered what the beginning of a depression looks like, you now know. As a result, Joe Sixpack and Sally Soccer Mom are suddenly interested in learning the financial jargon that is starting to affect their lives. New words to Google, or better yet, Scroogle, include collateralized debt obligations, credit default swaps, and, of course, derivatives. But there's one more exotic invention of the financial wizards behind the curtain that it would benefit us to learn more about. Money. It's a question that even children know enough to ask and adults don't know enough to answer. Where does money come from? For those who answered from trees, I hate to break it to you, but you are not original and comedy is not your strong point. Perhaps it is time to finally grow up and find out the answer to that question. After all, if we can't understand this, the single most basic financial instrument in the economy, how can we hope to understand the Byzantine arts of global finance? The startling truth is that money is created out of nothing by shareholders of private banks in the form of debt, payable with interest back to them. I will allow you to reread that line a few times for its significance to sink in. Once that fact has sunk in, with all of its implications and corollaries, it would be best to start your own research into the matter. You would be hard-pressed to find a better introduction to the subject than the brilliant documentary Money as Debt, or a better explanation of the history and structure of the monetary system than that offered in the equally brilliant documentary The Money Masters. Once the simple fact that money itself is a fiction created by and for the private profit of the bankers themselves is revealed, we can see money for what it is, 
an abstraction meant to stand in for the real wealth that was once stored in valued commodities like gold. That paper money has no intrinsic value is difficult for the average person today to comprehend, but would not have been so bizarre to those who lived in the Weimar Republic. From this fundamental abstraction, the banker's concoction of paper money backed up by law has been leveraged out in the form of loans. In recent years, the loans themselves have been packaged up and traded as investments, and investments have been based on the fluctuation of value in these investments. By this point, we are already talking of a fourth-level abstraction, an abstraction of an abstraction of an abstraction of an abstraction. If this seems confusing, rest assured that it was always intended to be so. Even the vast majority of those who partook in these financial games had little idea who created the game or what its purpose was. They were too busy trying to learn the rules. Now that ignorance has served to bring about the start of a financial collapse that can only domino from this point. For those unfortunate souls in the population who don't happen to be a stakeholder in a major international bank, there may indeed be little you can do at this point to stop the financial meltdown. But this may well really be the last chance for you to take the advice of those who have seen this coming for a long time and stock up on basic supplies like storable foods. The next step is to inform yourself and inform others of what is happening around you. Rest assured there is a plan behind the seemingly random events we see unfolding before us, and the same bankers who have been fooling us all along hope you don't find out about it. Our second story this week comes from The Corbett Report, 21st of September 2008. Internet attacks on 9-11 truth intensify. Cloned YouTube accounts just latest move toward limiting political speech on Internet. Internet censorship is once again in the news after legendary YouTube user Nuff Respect posted a new video detailing the latest online attack on 9-11 Truth. A user who is creating clones of respected user accounts and Truth Movement leaders in order to smear 9-11 Truth by posting racist comments. These have already led to the deletion of several well-known accounts in what has been revealed as a coordinated effort to eliminate 9-11 Truth from YouTube. This is in addition to the news that YouTube deleted a number of videos and accounts last week at the behest of Senator Joe Lieberman. That CNET admits these videos were removed as a direct result of Lieberman's staff's request is significant, as it was Lieberman who has been urging YouTube to take down radicalizing terrorist propaganda since May of this year to bring it into compliance with H.R. 1955, a bill that is currently awaiting approval by the Senate and which would criminalize all dissent of the government. That H.R. 1955 will specifically target the 9-11 Truth community is made obvious by a presentation made to the House Homeland Security Subcommittee in 2007 on terrorism and the Internet, which actually listed 9-11 Truth sites alongside terrorist jihad sites as examples of terrorist propaganda on the Internet. At first, YouTube executives made a show of standing up to Lieberman and his tyrannical dictates. While we respect and understand his views, YouTube encourages free speech and defends everyone's right to express unpopular points of view, a message posted on YouTube said at the time. Evidently, that was mere PR, and GooTube, bought out by Google last year, is now showing its roots as a spook-infested CIA front that functions as a virtual branch of government. 
Now, with no warning and little fanfare, they have silently started implementing the government's agenda of taking 9-11 Truth and other forms of dissent off the premier video-sharing site. All of this comes on the heels of numerous blows to free speech on the internet over the preceding weeks. At the beginning of September, Comcast, America's second-largest internet provider, announced it would set a hard bandwidth limit on its customers in a move that will limit the ability of users to exchange large amounts of data. This, of course, sets the precedent for other providers to follow suit, and it may not be long before the major internet providers are able to squeeze customers' ability to exchange information on the internet in the name of cutting down on bandwidth usage. Also this month, reports emerged of a shadowy United Nations group known as Q6-17, which is working with China and the NSA to develop a system to trace the source of all internet communications. Of course, as the linked article points out, such a feature would be useless, as all serious hacking attempts these days rely on spoofed addresses in the first place, and such traceback features are likely to be used by the very people they are designed to detect. But perhaps creating chaos on an internet that is increasingly becoming an overglorified wiretap is itself part of a much larger plan. Our final story comes from The Corbett Report. 21st of September 2008, U.S. Army invades U.S. Martial law heats up as NORTHCOM introduces public to end of posse comitatus. In an astounding article released earlier this month, the Army Times casually reports that the men and women of the 3rd Infantry Division's 1st Brigade Combat Team are coming home from Iraq to continue their mission in the United States. That's right. The Army Times gleefully reports that the brigade will be patrolling the streets of America in full battle rattle for their new assignment. Beginning October 1st for 12 months, the 1st BCT will be under the day-to-day -day control of the U.S. Army North, the Army Service component of Northern Command, as an on-call federal response force for natural or man-made emergencies and disasters, including terrorist attacks. NORTHCOM is, of course, the U.S. Northern Command, the unconstitutional body set up in 2002 to defend America's homeland, whose area of responsibility includes all of North America. Yes, this is the same NORTHCOM which helped further the North American Union agenda back in February of this year by signing a bilateral civil assistance plan with Canada, allowing Canadian troops to order around American citizens, and vice versa in any publicly declared emergency. Now NORTHCOM is hoping that people won't notice that the Insurrection Act was restored, along with Posse Comitatus, by the 2008 Defense Authorization Act, after having been taken away in the John Warner Defense Authorization Act of 2007. No more is there even a pretense that it is illegal for the U.S. military to act within the borders of the U.S., those who are not familiar with the origin of the phrase crossing the Rubicon and its implications are advised to read up on its significance. Among some of the more incredible admissions from the Army Times article, that this mission marks the first time an active unit has been given a dedicated assignment to NORTHCOM, that the mission is expected to become a permanent one with new active duty brigades being rotated into the mission every year, 
that they may be called on to deal with potentially horrific scenarios such as massive poisoning and chaos in response to a chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, or high-yield explosive, or CBRNE, attack. That the brigade will field crowd and traffic control equipment and non-lethal weapons designed to subdue unruly or dangerous individuals. That their crowd control package includes equipment to stand up a hasty roadblock, spike strips for slowing, stopping, or controlling traffic, shields and batons, and beanbag bullets. That the force will include elements from other military branches and dedicated National Guard weapons of mass destruction civil support teams. Of course, one brigade will not be enough to implement martial law in America, but it will be enough to set the precedent and inoculate the public into accepting open military involvement in policing at home. The brigade's mission, involving using the jaws of life to help in car crashes and clearing paths to roads in emergencies with chainsaws, are tasks that manifestly can, and always have, been performed by traditional public servants like firemen and policemen. The presence of the army in such routine operations is nothing less than a PR stunt to lull the public into a sense that it is no big deal to have the military engaged in active duty at home. In reality, of course, this is all designed to ease the public into martial law. A process Northcom envisions will be complete by 2020, and one which started years ago, and has been unfolding in a steady timeline ever since. Welcome to episode 56 of the Corbett Report, the week the New World Order arrived. Rest assured it's no joke when I say that this is an emergency broadcast of the Corbett Report, perhaps the most solemn broadcast I have ever made, and one of the most gravity and utmost importance. I find my task today especially difficult, because on the one hand, the situation has never been more urgent, and the need to ring the alarm and rouse the public to action has never been greater. And yet I feel almost speechless at the gravity of the events we have seen unfold in the past week. The three real news stories cited in today's real news section of the podcast will serve as the basis from which we will explore some of the events from the past week, And on their own, any one of those stories would have been enough for a complete episode of this podcast. Taken together, the seismic disturbances that are taking place in the geopolitical landscape right now are enough to make anyone call into question the fundamental precepts of the world we have hitherto been living in. In short, for those who questioned the existence of the New World Order or its extent, it can no longer be questioned and it is here. The only question now is what is to be done about it. To start with the economic news from this week, I'm not sure what providence, intuition, foresight, or coincidence prompted me to release episode 55 at the time that I did, but it is a good thing that we got that information out there before the complete destruction of the economic marketplace took place. How to fix the economy is very much on the tip of everyone's tongue these days. And for those listeners who missed last week's episode, I heartily recommend that you go back and check that out 
for the discussion that took place there regarding what is to be done in order to fix the underlying problems which has caused the economic breakdown. To reiterate a point I made last week, the fact that this depression has been seen coming for a long time is made evident by the fact that we have reported on it time and time again throughout the history of this Corbett Report podcast, including in episodes 5, 13, 30, and 55. All listeners are advised to go back and check through those episodes for the history of how we arrived at this point and where we are likely to go from here. Again, I have to admit that I am almost speechless by the events that took place this week. So perhaps it will suffice for me to list a number of facts, simple facts, about what took place in the marketplace this week. Of course, all the documents backing up these facts can be garnered from CorbettReport.com. The largest bankruptcy in history occurred last Monday. It precipitated the largest drop in the stock markets in the United States since 9-11. The Federal Reserve came in with an $85 billion bailout of AIG, the largest insurance company in America. On Thursday, the Federal Reserve of New York held a special overnight repo operation, a 24-hour credit to banks needing cash that injected $180 billion of liquidity into the markets. Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson responded to congressmen who were wondering if the government should put Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac on the budget by saying that the Congress, in fact, had no say in the matter, despite their constitutional mandate to oversee all government funding. Commodity markets responded to all of the dollars flooding into the system by going through the roof with gold and oil jumping markedly in price. The AAA credit rating of the United States itself is in jeopardy, according to the chairman of Standard & Poor's Sovereign Ratings Committee. And finally, talks underway at the moment to try to resolve the crisis are expected to announce as much as $1 trillion in bailout money from the Treasury next week. Once again, the gravity of this situation really needs no explanation. We are heading into depression. But please don't take my word for this. Perhaps instead you can take the word of Nobel Prize winning economist and former head of the World Bank, Joseph Stiglitz, who appeared on the Alex Jones Show earlier this week. Just incredible. Now, expanding from there, uh, where do you see this going? Where, I mean, how do you see um, the government, the Treasury, uh, the private Federal Reserve, you know, this whole international order dealing with this? Because I've seen Financial Times of London articles saying, look, other other." Uh, contractions, other uh, speculation, uh, bubble um, uh, implosions have been manageable and have even been some opportunities for people that weren't in debt and, and, and people that did save, both at the local level or the international level. You know, it didn't matter where you were geopolitically. Now, now uh, they're talking about this being a financial black hole that, if it continues, might even make the Treasury become insolvent. I mean... Well, there are clearly. This is clearly uh, uh, 
the most serious problem since the Great Depression, and in some ways uh, uh, worse uh, in terms of the, uh, the financial institutions. The reason, in part, is that while some of the same problems that have uh, uh, occurred then and have occurred since then, uh, excessive leverage, pyramid schemes, bubbles, have happened before, the so-called innovation of Wall Street, the financial innovations, created, it was supposed to manage risk, it created risk, and created a kind of non-transparency that is so great that no one knows exactly uh, what the magnitude, what, what the nature of the risk they face. In fact, that's now coming out where these companies say, we can't show you your books, we don't even really really have them. I mean, it's just, you know, the companies are saying they can't extrapolate uh, how these algorithms are even working, what these computer systems are doing, who owns what debt, how it was leveraged. Exactly, and that's why no one trusts anybody else. You can't. Uh, you, who wants to buy Lehman Brothers when you don't know what its liabilities well, well, are? Well, that's my question because you won one of your two Nobel prizes for coming up with these asymmetrical models or, or, or looking at certain strata, something they hadn't done. So, so I mean, you're an expert on this, exactly. And and you know what I cautioned about. I wrote about these these problems of, of asymmetric information. The fact that some people know things that others don't know. But this is in some ways a. a, a double problem, because not only do others not know, say, what Lehman Brothers may know, Lehman Brothers doesn't know what it ought to know. Which makes it even harder to say, if you have a fire, no one has a full blueprint of even the building. Exactly. Or perhaps you can listen to the stunning account of Senator Chris Dodd, hardly one for fear-mongering or exaggeration, on his account of an emergency meeting that was held on Capitol Hill to discuss the economic meltdown. Senator Chris Dodd, Democrat of Connecticut, is the chairman of the Banking Committee. Senator, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. I would like to read to you a letter that appeared in the New York Times today, letters to the editor from a woman in Wayland, Massachusetts, Christine Rideout. And she writes, why is it that when the wizards of Wall Street are making billions, they get to keep the money, making some of them fabulously wealthy, but when they are utterly incompetent and their enterprises collapse, the taxpayers pick up the tab, where is the justice. Senator Dodd, where's the justice, if there is any, in this bailout? Well, um, there isn't any, and I'm angry about it, and someone once described it, Michael, even a briefer sentence. We've reached a point where we seem to privatize wealth and socialize debt, uh, and that's where we are, and I'm not happy. I know you could, I gather today on your show, you're going to go back and review where this has all been, but let me just say that at this juncture, as chairman of this committee, I've already met with my banking committee this morning, Democrats and Republicans, uh, we've got to come up with an answer here. I, I, I can't even begin to describe to you uh, adequately the mood last evening with the leadership of the House, the Senate, Democrats and Republicans in meeting with Ben Bernanke, the Chairman of the Federal Reserve, and uh, Hank Paulson, the Secretary of the Treasury, Chris Cox, when they described what situation we're in, not only here but globally, and that if we fail to act in the coming days, the consequences for us here at home as well as around the world, pension funds, 401ks, mutual funds, jobs, literally a meltdown of the financial system. So we're at a crossroads here where we need to be talking how we how we respond to this and clearly that's what we're going to be doing all weekend as I, I'm hoping to get this plan from the Treasury Department either later today or tomorrow so we can respond to it. 
This is not a game. This is not a test. This is not a joke. And words like meltdown, depression, and bank runs are not being thrown around by regulators, financial advisors, and politicians for dramatic effect. Perhaps the severity of what we are facing is garnered from a very troubling article from the George Washington blog that came out today, September 21st, 2008. The market is now pricing in the genuine possibility that the U.S. will default on its debt. Quote, You've heard of credit default swaps. They are a type of derivative where one person places a bet that a certain company will go out of business, and another person on the other side of the contract places a bet that the company won't go out of business. Well, people are now starting to increase their use of credit default swaps to bet that the U.S. will default on its ability to pay on its treasury debt. An article in The Telegraph from today showing credit default swaps on U.S. 10-year Treasury debt, explains, Check out the chart showing the recent spikes in the U.S. 10-year credit default swap. In other words, the market is now pricing in the genuine possibility that the U.S. will struggle to pay back some of its long-term T-bills. That possibility is still deemed to be quite low, but the ultimate financial question, until recently unthinkable, is now being asked. Yes, sirree, the mighty U.S. government could default. That's how much the world has changed. End quote. To think that the world has changed that much in one week is, of course, impossible. Obviously, these changes do not come overnight. They've been in the offing for a long time, and people who have seen them coming have tried to warn us about them. People like the creators of documentaries like Money is Debt or The Money Masters. People like Congressman Ron Paul. People like Richard C. Cook, who we interviewed in last week's episode. People like the producer of The Money Masters, Patrick Carmack, who I interviewed this week regarding the current economic meltdown, the video of which can be seen right now at the homepage CorbettReport.com. One thing that almost all analysts can agree on at this point is that one should prepare for the worst even if one hopes for the best. And in this case, that would mean buying storable food, aka insurance you can eat, and secondly, getting at least some of your worthless paper money into commodities, especially gold and silver, and especially physical gold and silver, not paper certificates for the like. I am not a financial analyst, and I cannot give you personalized information about how to position yourself in this market, but all I can say is what is obvious to all. The world order is changing so quickly at the moment that the time-honored verities will be the ones that save us, and that means getting back to self-sufficiency as much as is possible and stocking up on food and valuable commodities. It now becomes painfully obvious why this particular catastrophe is one of the most dastardly up the sleeves of the New World Order in bringing about their one-world government and single-currency cashless society, a.k.a. the perfect control grid, 
And that is because when people are fighting to put food on the table, they can't be bothered with any other details about what is going on in the political sphere. That is why we have to take this moment of opportunity, this slim window through which the New World Order is acting to bring about their global government, and we must take what remaining liberties and what remaining resources we have and commit ourselves fully to taking care of ourselves, our loved ones, and getting the word out to the public at large, because society is most assuredly a single ship, and if society goes down, we all go down with it. The economy is being moved over to the police state economy, and we must wake up our fellow men and women to the reality of the end game of the people who are running this system. Of course, the reality of what is happening is being promoted on a mass scale, and mass awakening is taking place at the moment because of the internet the single most important communication tool invented since the invention of the printing press. Once again, internet censorship is something that we've covered quite extensively in previous articles, interviews, and podcast episodes of the Corbett Report, and listeners are advised to listen to episode 46 for more information on that. But over the past week, the news about internet censorship has been growing and it's very clear now that incredible tectonic shifts taking place in the economy have obscured the incredible tectonic shifts that are taking place in fundamental liberties until recently taken for granted. This attack comes in the form of a piece of legislation known as H.R. 1955. Perhaps to introduce this topic... I'll turn to a phone call which Alex Jones received on his syndicated radio show this week regarding internet censorship, YouTube, and H.R. 1955. Uh, let's talk to uh, Phil in New York. Phil, you're on the air. Hey, Alex. How you doing? Good, sir. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, something that's going on right now, right under our noses on, uh, on YouTube. They're taking a whole other step now at censorship. And a number of Patriot accounts have been removed overnight. I knew that. A lot of my videos are being erased. I mean, folks, they're openly saying they want to shut the web down. They say we're kicking their hind in. Uh, you better get the videos on DVD and make copies of them. You better spread the files around while you can. We're going into a major depression, probably. I, I mean, my God, it's getting worse faster than I thought it would. And I'm here, eat, drinking, and sleeping, literally eating on the air, because I'm, you know, working all the time, you know, even during breaks now. Uh, and I've somehow got to live here, uh, and it's just getting more and more serious. Tell us w what's happening on YouTube. Okay, well, uh, if you go to, uh, there was a, a bunch of longer um, URL addresses, but I shortened them up. If you go to tinyurl.com slash YouTube censored, you can watch a video by uh, Nuff Respect, one of, uh, one of the greatest patriots we have. Wait a minute, uh, they, they, they banned Nuff Respect's account? No, no, he's not banned yet, but a number of other people are, and he's made a video on this. Okay. Well, I know. He actually uh, won the first contest. I've got to get around to announcing the second contest winner for, uh, for censorship with the video we put together. Well, he, well, the video we did, he put together. Okay, well, this is a new video. This just came out today. Good. And, uh, in, in the video, he's got a link to an article. Now, you can see this article 
Also, it's about uh, YouTube makes Senator Lieberman happy with new anti-terrorism guidelines. What they're doing is they're going ahead and, and removing videos that they deem are, are uh, terrorists in nature. No, no, that's right. This is huge news. We've got to get Paul Watson and Steve Watson and Kurt on this. I remember a month ago, YouTube uh, got a letter, and Google did, which is the parent of YouTube. I remember this to them saying, anything that's terrorist, quote, terrorist propaganda, we want you to remove. And they'd already been doing that like the Marine Puppy video. They removed it. Even when ABC News was airing it, and Fox News was airing it. They were, it was anti-American, they said, to show our troops doing bad things. And then uh, last time I heard, Google was considering doing this. So now, and, and, then, and then we have the uh, different uh, homegrown uh, extremist acts and, and the hearings in Congress wanting to... And they showed architect, yeah. architects and engineers for 9-11 truth and said they were al-Qaeda. Uh, national TV is now saying, I'm really trained in Afghanistan and all this. I mean, it's totally mindless. But, folks, you've got a public that believes the Federal Reserve is government. They believe everything they're told. And so they hear, I said kill Michelle Malkin. They hear I'm al-Qaeda trained. They believe it. You're telling me that uh, that uh, there's an article, mainstream, where YouTube says they are doing that? Well, it's uh, it, this article I'm looking at here is on Eflux Media. It was linked to in Enough Respects video. But they're doing this uh, via S1959, which is this uh, this homegrown terrorism bill. And if you want to if you want to look at that, you can go to tinyurl.com/homegrownterrorism, and you can view the bill. And again, with that, you can go to tinyurl.com. Listen, let me just stop you because giving out these links, it's better to give out headlines. And then folks can find things that way. Why don't okay. you Why don't you email this to Aaron at infowars.com? Two A's right now, and he will post it in the next ten minutes on infowars.com. But 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 this is important. But wrap it up. Okay. Well, you could see you could see who voted against you know uh, free speech because the, uh, when this went to vote, only six people said nay, and four hundred and four people said yes. And this is the. Uh, uh, you can look for the article on GovTrack.us. It's House Vote on Passage, H.R. 1955, Violent Radicalization and Homegrown Terrorism. Now, now has that left the Senate yet? Um, I, I don't think so. I'm not sure, but they're already enforcing it on YouTube. They're yeah, no, I knew that Lieberman, accounts, not just I, videos, I knew that Lieberman said do that. Thank you for the call. Excellent caller. We will get right on that. That's the kind of thing where uh, it's in the stack and I don't get to it. I mean, I, I did mention it a month ago, but yeah, and, and, and saying, look, just anything that's anti-government, anything that criticizes the government, aids the terrorists, take it off. Remember Calhoun, the Deputy Attorney General in 2003 in California under uh, Bill Lockyer? He was in the newspapers, including uh, the Baltimore Tribune, uh, Baltimore, the um, Oakland Tribune. Oakland Tribune. I remember, I read it on air over and over. It was such a big deal, I read it over and over again on air. He said in the piece that we're banning all protest against the war in California, and he's a Democrat, because the war is against Al-Qaeda. And so if you protest a war, this war, you're for Al-Qaeda, saying Saddam was Al-Qaeda. And they're really getting ready for something, folks. They are coming after the web. I mean, I get up here and I say, you should appreciate our videos. You should appreciate the access you have to them. Folks, you better go eight, five, six hours a day. You know, 
uh, on message boards, on blogs, sending videos to news groups and the list and MySpace. I mean, you better bust your butt. We're having big victories, so they're moving to block us. And they're moving at every level. Once again, I think the significance of this information needs no explanation because, suffice it to say, without the free internet, you would not be listening to me right now. For the full detail of this story, with some additional background and plenty of links, I encourage my listeners to get the story from CorbettReport.com that was read as the second news story in today's Real News and distribute that to everyone that you can who might have an interest in seeing free speech maintained on the internet. In fact, all three of the articles from the Real News section of today's episode are extremely important articles, perhaps three of the most important that I have ever put out, and I ask for my listeners' help in getting the word out about this information. Again, I don't care if you use my article or another article that you find on a similar topic, but I really do think this information needs to be diffused now while we still have access to the internet. Of course, it's much worse than I could ever possibly encapsulate in one podcast episode, in one article, or in one interview. But again, suffice it to say, in addition to everything mentioned so far, we also have Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web, coming out earlier this month and suggesting that websites be ranked according to their credibility by various governmental and non-governmental organizations because of his assertion that dangerous conspiracy theories are being promoted on the internet. And of course, as we all know, the answer to free speech and people being able to put their ideas out into the open marketplace of ideas to be freely debated and discussed is to shut down that discussion, to prohibit them from speaking, because that's the way we, we win a rational argument among an open society, right? Of course not. Free speech is one of the most fundamental of all of our liberties, and that's why it was made the First Amendment in the United States Constitution. It is the seed from which liberty grows, and without free speech, we do not have freedom, period. Again, not much else needs to be said other than what is contained in all of the links from that article up right now on CorbettReport.com, which again, I hope you get and spread out to the four winds. But it seems obvious that we are under a military attack right now. In a military attack, of course, there are three main prongs of attack. One, perhaps the most important, is cutting off the supply lines, and of course, Crashing the economy is cutting off our supply lines, and we will feel that as prices start to inflate, as the dollar devalues, and we all find it harder and harder to make ends meet. This might take days, it might take weeks, it might take months, it might be a process that will string out for years, but there is no doubt now that there is no easy way out of our current financial predicament. The supply lines have been effectively cut, and we're going to see that in rising fuel, food, and energy prices. Of course, another key element to any successful attack is cutting off the lines of communication, which of course is precisely what is aimed at at H.R. 1955 and the shutting down of free speech on the internet. 
So what is the only other prong of attack necessary for a successful military operation? Well, that would be the physical assault, the brute force. Well, of course, that is covered in the third story from today's Real News. U.S. Army invades the U.S. Yes, once again, it's becoming apparent that martial law is in fact already implemented in the United States, as is evidenced by such vagrant flaunting of the Posse Comitatus Act and the Insurrection Act, which seek to constrain the ability of the executive from using the U.S. military inside the United States. Once again, this is crossing the Rubicon, and it is high time we learnt what that means. That the U.S. Army is operating inside the United States is no longer a subject of debate. It is freely admitted in by even the Army Times. Although, of course, this has been a process that has been well documented by many researchers, including, of course, Alex Jones in his Police State Trilogy, including, of course, that shocking footage that many of us have seen of the U.S. military training in the U.S. with foreign troops for arresting U.S. citizens. The significance of this is incredible. We are now witnessing the final stages of the grand plan to blow out the U.S. economy, sink the ship, get off the board with all of the valuable assets, and watch the citizens fight amongst each other in what is left of the once proud United States. What better way to keep the slaves in line as you tank the economy than to make sure that they know who's in charge? In this regard, in addition to the article released today by the Corbett Report, which of course I suggest you get out to everyone, there's another very valuable article that I suggest you take a look at. It's from Infowars.net, and it was released on November 16th, 2007. It's a special report from Steve Watson entitled, Turning the Police State Apparatus Against Dissenters. This is an extremely involved, extremely lengthy, and extremely well-researched article about all of the various operations that are taking place right now to undermine the Constitution and turn America into a police state. This is too lengthy and detailed an article to possibly read all of in this particular podcast episode, but I'd like to read here a summary of some past legislation written up during the Bush administration, which has cleared the way for the targeting of American citizens as enemy combatants and systematically destroyed the Bill of Rights. Let's take a look at some of this legislation from the article Turning the Police State Apparatus Against Dissenters. Quote, Executive Order Blocking Property of Certain Persons Who Threaten Stabilization Efforts in Iraq. Back in July this year, this vaguely worded EO was signed and acts as an amendment to the National Emergencies Act. It states that any American citizen who threatens the peace and stability of Iraq and undermines efforts to promote reconstruction and reform there may have all their property and interests seized by the Treasury Department without warning. Many within the anti-war movement have viewed this as a move to target protesters. It certainly is the case that anti-war protesters have been heavily surveilled by the FBI, the NSA, and the Pentagon at meetings and rallies, as many mainstream sources have reported this year. H.R. 6166 Military Commissions Act 
slamming the final nail in the coffin of everything America used to stand for, the bootlicking U.S. Senate gave President Bush the legal authority to abduct and sexually mutilate American citizens and American children in the name of the War on Terror in passing the Military Commissions Act and officially ending habeas corpus in September 2006. There is nothing in the detainee legislation that protects American citizens from being kidnapped by their own government and tortured. The New York Times stated that the legislation introduced a dangerously broad definition of a legal enemy combatant in the bill, could subject legal residents of the United States, as well as foreign citizens living in their own countries, to summary arrest and indefinite detention with no hope of appeal. The president could give the power to apply this label to anyone he wanted. Yale Law Professor Bruce Ackerman states in the LA Times, The compromise legislation authorizes the president to seize American citizens as enemy combatants, even if they have never left the United States. And once thrown into military prison, they cannot expect a trial by their peers or any other of the normal protection of the Bill of Rights. Similarly, law professor Marty Lederman explains, This subsection 2 of the definition of unlawful enemy combatant means that if the Pentagon says you're an unlawful enemy combatant using whatever criteria they wish, then as far as Congress and U.S. law is concerned, you are one, whether or not you have had any connection to hostilities at all. Subsection 4B26 of Section 950V of the bill contains a definition of wrongfully aiding the enemy, which labels all American citizens who breach their allegiance to President Bush and the actions of his government as terrorists subject to possible arrest, torture, and conviction in front of a military tribunal. Section 950J of the bill also preemptively criminalizes any challenge to the legislation's legality by the Supreme Court or any United States court and allows the use of torture that is incidental to lawful sanctions. John Warner Defense Authorization Act The Bush junta quietly tooled up to utilize the U.S. military in engaging American dissidents after the next big crisis with a frightening and overlooked piece of legislation that was passed alongside the Military Commissions Act, the John Warner Defense Authorization Act, which greased the skids for armed confrontation and abolishes posse comitatus. Martial Law Presidential Decision Directive 51 New legislation signed on May 9, 2007 declares that in the event of a catastrophic event, the president can take total control over the government and the country, bypassing all other levels of government at the state, federal, local, territorial, and tribal levels, and thus ensuring total, unprecedented, dictatorial power. The National Security and Homeland Security Presidential Directive, which also places the Secretary of Homeland Security in charge of domestic security, was signed earlier this month without the approval or oversight of Congress and seemingly supersedes the National Emergency Act, which allows the President to declare a national emergency, but also requires that Congress have the authority to modify, rescind, or render dormant such emergency authority if it believes the President has acted inappropriately. The scope of the program is so secretive that even Homeland Security Committee member and Congressman Peter DeFazio was denied access to view the classified portion of the documents. The USA Patriot Act 
The party line often heard from neocons in their attempt to defend the Patriot Act either circulate around the contention that the use of the Patriot Act has never been abused or that it isn't being used against American citizens. Here is an archive of articles that disproves both of these fallacies. The Patriot Act was the boilerplate from which all subsequent attacks on the Constitution were formed. USA Patriot Act II the Second Patriot Act was a mirror image of powers that Julius Caesar and Adolf Hitler gave themselves, whereas the First Patriot Act only gutted the First, Third, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments and seriously damaged the Seventh and the Tenth. The Second Patriot Act reorganized the entire federal government as well as many areas of state government under the dictatorial control of the Justice Department, the Office of Homeland Security, and the FEMA NORTHCOM Military Command. The Domestic Security Enhancement Act 2003, also known as the Second Patriot Act, is by its very structure the definition of dictatorship. End quote. Economic collapse, the end of free speech, and open declaration of dictatorship and martial law. The tectonic plates have shifted in such a fashion that the old world will never come back. I really believe that we have crossed a threshold, and not only that we have entered an extremely dangerous period of extremely rapid changes, but the acceleration of change to change to change will in itself increase in the coming days, weeks, and months. Again, the gravity and the solemnity of this occasion requires that we all raise the alarm. We are under a military attack at the moment, and if ever there was a time for a Paul Revere to make his midnight ride, this is the time, and you are Paul Revere. If you are a listener of this podcast who has yet to engage in the info war, there is no longer any excuse for you to sit idly by. The time for action is now, and the only revolution that matters is the revolution of the mind. The entire New World Order system is based on problem-reaction-solution, as I have outlined in a previous episode of the Corbett Report. And problem-reaction-solution itself can only work if the public reacts in the way that the New World Order wants us to react. And we only react in the way they want us to react if we are ignorant of what is really happening in the world. The case in point is that the media is already shaping up to blame the entire current financial meltdown on those dastardly homeowners who signed onto bewildering adjustable rate mortgages that they couldn't understand, as if the fact that the U.S. government is about ready to start defaulting on its debt can be blamed on a bunch of poor people who could barely afford a house. Of course, they're going to come in with their solution, which is going to involve billions, if not trillions of dollars in bailout money for the bankers who themselves created the problem, all the while centralizing control of the market and the banks themselves in fewer and fewer hands. And of course, eventually, even if the worst comes to the worst and the bottom falls out of the currency, that will only deal an opportunity for the very people who created the problem to bring in their further solution of a deepening global ties and the winnowing of currencies down to large 
regional currencies in the name of currency stability. Now is the time to get the information out to others and to do so while we still can. I don't know how else to explain the importance of the times we're living in or the importance of you taking action and getting involved. And even if you are involved, redoubling your efforts, recommitting yourself to this fight and doing more than you have ever done before in the pursuit of justice and peace. You will have noticed that I myself have been putting out even more articles, videos, and interviews than usual. And trust me, this is taking a toll on me personally. But I say this not for sympathy, but only as a way of illustrating what is possible when we commit ourselves fully to the fight. There is no longer the time for us or the luxury for us to think of this information as mere entertainment or a spectator sport or a game to be played. This is very much real life and this is very much a military operation. We have to respond peacefully with information in the info war. I leave you today with the inspiring words that I cannot articulate. And I hope that they have the same effect on you that they do on me. I am your host, James Corbett. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Corbett Report. And join me again next week for another episode. of enemy propaganda rolling across the picket line. Lay down, G.I., lay down, G.I. We saw it all through the 20th century. And now in the 21st century, it's time to stand up and realize that we should not allow ourselves to be crammed into this rat maze. We should not submit to dehumanization. I don't know about you, but I'm concerned with what's happening in this world. I'm concerned with the structure. I'm concerned with the systems of control. Those that control my life and those that seek to control it even more. I want freedom! That's what I want, and that's what you should want! It's up to each and every one of us to turn loose of just some of the greed, the hatred, the envy, and yes, the insecurities, because that is the central mode of control. Make us feel pathetic, small, so we'll willingly give up our sovereignty, our liberty, our destiny. We have got to realize that we're being conditioned on a mass scale. Start challenging this corporate slave state. The 21st century is going to be a new century, not the century of slavery, not the century of lies and issues of no significance and classism and statism and all the rest of the modes of control. It's going to be the age of humankind standing up for something pure and something right. What a bunch of garbage, liberal, democrat, conservative, republican. It's all there to control you, two sides of the same coin. Two management teams bidding for control, the CEO job of Slavery Incorporated. The truth is out there in front of you, but they lay out this buffet of lies. I'm sick of it, and I'm not going to take a bite out of it. Do you got me? Resistance is not futile. We're going to win this thing. Humankind is too good. We're not a bunch of underachievers. We're going to stand up, and we're going to be human beings. We're going to get fired up about the real things, the things that matter, creativity, and the dynamic human spirit that refuses to submit. Well, that's it. That's all i got to say. It's in your court.